Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. It is 6pm here in the United Kingdom, so good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever wherever you are tuning in from. Um, I am Brian, the UK Bitcoin Master. This is your regular Thursday live show, uh, interview show today, actually. Uh, for those of you that are new finding the channel for the very first time, I go live every Monday and every Thursday at 6pm London, uh, where I discuss Bitcoin. I bring guests on to talk about Bitcoin, and tonight is no different. I've got an awesome guest for you all this evening. It is the 16th of June 2022. And quite frankly, I cannot believe where this year is going. It is motoring by. It is crazy. If you're new to the channel, there's a disclaimer there. I would encourage you all to read it because you are not going to get any financial advice here. You are not going to get charts. You are not going to get technical analysis. You are not going to get any type of price prediction. It is me, Brian, the UK Bitcoin master, choosing with a passion for Bitcoin to go live twice a week. And if people want to come and listen to me rant a couple of times a week for 30, 40, 50 minutes, fantastic. And if they don't, I don't care. That said, uh, I have over 430 uh, videos up on UKBitcoinMaster.com. So check them out if you're new to all of this and you want to help build that uh, diamond Bitcoin hand. If you're looking for the interviews only, you're going to find them at BitcoinInterviews.com. Let me get that out of the way. Very quickly, some of the regulars in the chat. I can see John Gravitt is with us. Welcome, John. My lovely wife, Elaine, Mrs. UK, is in the house. Patriot Hoddle, welcome to you. Chaz Old, welcome to you, sir, from Michigan. Uh, UK Bitcoin Farmer is in the house. Matthew Underhill, uh, Bugs057, uh, welcome. Vinny Rondo coming in. Welcome to you all. If you want to get my attention, if you want to ask my guests a question, simply type in UK Bitcoin Master as it reads in my bio, then your message, and it will light up orange for me, and I will gladly look at what you're, uh, you've written. Read it out if that's what you're asking for, or ask my guest um, a question if that's what you are after. Very quickly, um, the price, 21150 So this is going to sort the weed from the chaff, people. This is going to sort the men from the boys as we see the price tumbling. Uh, when you understand what's going on in the macro world, how all the financial markets are crashing, uh, what goes on with things like the Federal Reserve and interest rate hikes and, and um, learning about inflation and so on and so forth, which, by the way, I knew nothing about five years ago, you start to understand that there's nothing wrong with the Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin itself. The fundamentals are rock solid and strong. The adoption is taking place. Uh, but we have to go down currently because we are correlated with some of those financial markets. The reason I'm showing you this is because currently right now you can get close to 5,000 sats for every dollar you spend, people. 4,727 sats right now, which is incredible when you, for those of you that are still trying to DCA and build up to maybe 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.5, or becoming a whole coiner, it's an awesome time to be accumulating uh, Bitcoin. Very, very quickly, in a couple of weeks from now, if you are in the UK, uh, we have, as far as I'm aware, the first Bitcoin um, adventure or Bitcoin um, meetup, what do you want to call it, event. 
It's taking place in the southwest of the UK uh, at Avon Valley Adventure Park. So if you're near, come on down. Second uh, of July, uh, we've got a fantastic lineup. I've put a box around everything that you should be interested in. About £19 a ticket or half price if you uh, buy in Bitcoin. I wouldn't, but up to you. We've got loads of things going on. You can see it all there highlighted in blue without me reading it out. So, you know, if you're within spinning distance, come down to that event. It's going to be incredible. There's another reason you should come down to that event, because these guys are going to be there. Bitcoin Racing. I have started chatting a lot with this team, an incredible group. You can see that they're, they're sponsored by El Salvador. They are Seb, their main driver, is from El Salvador. So at the very, very least, I would ask you all to go over to to uh, Bitcoin.Racing or Bitcoin underscore racing and at least follow them on Twitter and give them a bit of an upvote because they're trying to do a lot for the adoption of Bitcoin here in the UK. And in fact, for anyone that might be interested, they've got an incredible sponsoring club uh, that they've put up on that anybody can start to sponsor the team from just £10 right through to a massive sponsorship if you so want. You know, anyone can have this prospectus here. It is in the show notes if you want to have a look at it, but they've got so much going on. It is absolutely incredible. I've just um, joined them as what they call the Satoshi Club, which means that I get my YouTube logo uh, and YouTube address and my Twitter address on the side of the race cars, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, so anyone can do that. And there's a couple of packages here. Again, I've got the Satoshi Club on the right. Um, but on the left, if you want to donate just £10, you know, you can join the El Hoddle Club. Basically, there is loads going on and you want to be following Bitcoin Racing. They've got, um, if you follow them on Instagram, they've got a complete calendar of races taking place across the UK. Um, my wife and I are going to join them at Silverstone. If you are into Formula One at all, you know uh, British Racing is Silverstone. So we're going to be with them in Silverstone in October this year. And I'm massively, massively excited about that because while I'm there, I'm going to do an interview with them for this show. So um, check them out, people, on Twitter at least. Very, very quickly, because we have got our private 21 million club Bitcoin meetup coming up this Saturday, 8 p.m. UK time, One, uh, sorry, 3 p.m. EST. Uh, for anybody that's a regular of the show, once a month we have a meetup on Zoom where we chew the fat about Bitcoin, get to know each other, have a laugh, have a few beers. And we absolutely love it. And anyone that supports my show is a Bitcoiner only. They're welcome to reach out to me in the show notes and I'll tell you the criteria for uh, becoming part of that exclusive 21 million club. Very quickly, and I'm going to get my guest in. If you want to drop a tip, I don't have enough subs on my channel right now for, for um, Super Chats, but then I don't run this show for any type of financial gain. So if you want to drop a few sats and practice moving sats around, there's three addresses there. But obviously, I don't do this for any type of financial gain. So Without further ado, I'm going to bring my guest in. Uh, and this guest, you've got to follow people 
on Twitter. Look, over 15,000 followers. And when we talk about his background and what he's done since he's been in Bitcoin, you'll get an idea of why you need to be following Eric. So there you go. Uh, Twitter.com at Eric Kaysen. Go over and give him a follow. And um, yeah, you're going to hear from him right now. Eric, without further ado, sir, welcome to my live show. It's great to have you in the house. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate being here with you today. Well, it's brilliant to have you in the house. Well, we've got a very simple format, Eric, and it's basically before, then Bitcoin and after, if I can simplify that. So really, my audience don't want to hear from me. They hear from me twice a week and, you know, they hear me ranting on about why Bitcoin. But I guess the reason I uh, when I don't have a guest, I'll explain when I don't have a guest, I, I always find a short video clip from a podcast. We pull it to bits on, you know, why people should consider Bitcoin only. And um, so when I've got a guest on, what I say is they don't really want to hear from me. They want to hear from my guests. So I'm going to put you on full screen and please, you know, tell my audience a little bit about yourself, what you've done for a living or what your background is prior to getting involved in Bitcoin. Sure. Um, so before Bitcoin, I, I wasn't really doing a lot. You know, I had worked at a number of tech companies doing kind of support stuff for them. Um, and then I was going back to university to become a therapist. Uh, that eventually didn't work out. But in the process, in 2012, I came across Bitcoin at uh, an Occupy Wall Street protest. Uh, and, and it just it, it sparked some curiosity and I started digging in. Uh, and then pretty quickly, by the end of 2012, I was making my way down the rabbit hole. And in 2013, I started working at Coinbase. And then I was at Coinbase wow. from 2013 to 2017. Uh, and then when the block size wars came about, I sort of felt like we had lost internally because it was clear that Coinbase was going to pivot to becoming a shitcoin casino. Yep. Uh, and I didn't want to be there. So I left. Um, and from my experience being there, I met lots of very intelligent people and we had lots of really great dialogue. And from that, I started doing my writing work at CryptoSovereignty.org, where I really tried to explore the question of what does it mean that we have this highly advanced, uh, unbreakable cryptography in a digitized, globalized world? And what does it mean now that we have a form of self-sovereign, non-nation-state-based non money that no longer needs for us to store our wealth in a mode or means that is in the physical world, but can be done through the internet directly. Yep. Um, and I also had a brief time at Unchained Capital. I think they're a really great Bitcoin only company. Uh, they help facilitate uh, multi-signature loans and the ability for individuals to use their open source platform to build their own multi-sig wallets, which I think if you are a Bitcoiner and you hold any significant amount of Bitcoin, you really should be using multi-sig to secure your Bitcoin in a thoughtful and meaningful way that is off exchange. Yeah, I've had um, Phil Geiger on my show. Great guy. Me and Phil worked together for, for a long time. He, he is a great guy. Um, he is, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I... It, for, for anybody who feels like they're, they're in over their head or they don't know enough about it, I would highly recommend to, to look at the people at Unchained Capital. They're very professional. They'll walk you through the steps that you need to be able to use multi-sig in a thoughtful way. And they can even connect you with the devices and do a whole hour-long tutorial kind of explaining it in the most bare-bones way that's possible. Um, 
but yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and they were very supportive of my work. I'm still good friends with many of them. Yeah. Uh, and anytime that we're together at a Bitcoin conference, we always have really great mind blowing conversations that always makes me feel uh, so rejuvenated towards the cause that we're, we're working towards together. It's really interesting, isn't it, Eric? Because when when people are on a common journey, common goal, common path, whatever you want to call it, you can literally talk for hours and hours and hours and, you know, wonder where the time has gone. And you can just keep talking because you're just so in tune with each other or a group of people. Uh, I remember many, many, many years ago with my first wife and I got into a business and, and the same sort of thing. And, you know, a, a guy and I went out for a pizza after a, a meeting and, and we would get home at three o'clock in the morning. And of course, my, my ex-wife used to say, what the what the hell do you find to talk about for all that time? But when you are in tune, you can just riff, can't you? There is so much to discuss. And with Bitcoin, you know, I always say, and I'll get your take on this, you know, you, you get into Bitcoin and I guess I'm like most, I'm a boomer. I'm in my early 60s and, you know, I got into Bitcoin five years ago for number go up. But of course, the more you're invested in, the more you learn about it, the more you start to realize there is way more here the number go up. You know, this is something like maybe a once in a 10,000 year event that is going to change the face of money, of governments, of, I mean, everything. I mean, I know that. Maybe talk to my audience about your views on what this can do for the world. Because for me, I just, the word that comes to mind is profound. Absolutely. Um, and to, to the point that you just said, I think uh, it it's quite humorous that uh, people come in for the profits, but they stay for the prophecy, if you will. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes the stuff can seem uh, to be hyperbolic in a lot of ways. But I really assure you that, you know, the idea that we're coming into a once in 10,000 year opportunity that I would say that is not an understatement a radically, radically powerful piece of technology. Uh, and I was speaking to somebody earlier about how a lot of my philosophical approach to Bitcoin comes from uh, looking at it through the lens of Thomas Hobbes and specifically his treatise Leviathan, which deals with statecraft. He wrote it in 1648. But in it, he surmises that uh, the state creates its power through authority, not truth, yep. and that it makes legitimacy through its authority. And now at the long end of this chain of 500 years of this form and system of authoritarian governments, we've sort of reached the end of it where that authority is actually driving us into to really a, a sort of collectivized madness at this point in time. And we can see that with financial markets, with the amount of printing, with how COVID was addressed. Uh, it, it is truly a form of madness that is about root authoritarianism that does not try to think about truth, but about what has been relegated as the authority of truth. And so these differences are, are, are very, very important because what we're actually talking about is what is true insofar as mathematically truthful. And when we look at whether it's the American dollar system, the UK pound system, the European euro system, all of them have fundamental accounting errors at the very bottom. And this is how fiat money operates, is it creates a system that doesn't have true accountability at the bottom of it. And because it doesn't have accountability within its economic system directly, there is an accountability society in how governments are spending this money. And that's very, very important because 
that's happening everywhere in the world. And it's been happening for more than a century. And this has created a very, very radical and different form of society than we would have in one that's on a sound money standard. You know, I think even if we were back on a rigid gold standard, while that would be problematic in its own sense, I actually think it would be good insofar that uh, these perpetual wars that the United States has been waging since 45, they, they couldn't continue. We simply couldn't finance them if we didn't have fiat. So when we talk about a once in 10,000 year change, it's not so much just that we're changing the money system, but it's that we're actually changing from a system of authority postulating itself as truth to truth itself than postulating itself as legitimacy on its own. And with Bitcoin, we can see that there's nobody that sponsors or backs Bitcoin. It is all a collective network of individuals that are working together outside of the purview of their own individual governments. And that's really important because it's a radically new and different form of organization that we haven't seen before. So um, I guess my question to you then is, are we, uh, I believe we are, but, you know, obviously you're, you're a very deep thinker and, you know, a lot of that stuff, honestly, hand on heart, I, I don't understand, you know, as a, as a regular working class guy for most of my life, but I hear you, um, but it conjures up the question, are we actually at the, um, quote, then they fight us stage? You know, the, the Gandhi quote, first they laugh at you, then they ignore you, then they fight you, then you win. Are we going into that? It feels to me very much like we are entering, you know, I've been five years. You've been in since 2011 stroke 12. I mean, crikey, double and some me. So you've seen way more than me. But it feels to me like we definitely are now entering that then they fight you stage where they're not going down without a fight. Based on what you've just said, of course, you know, it is corrupt at the bottom and they want to keep that corruption. They don't want to lose control of all that. Yeah, um, it's interesting because when they fight you stage, this is all postulated on on these same uh, ideas of that, like there's a physical reality and that there's a place that Bitcoin lives and that there's something to strike at. And I yeah. think as this sort of develops, it's going to become clear that they're they're grasping at smoke and that they can't do anything around it. Yeah. And to me, one of the greatest ironies of what's going on in the system right now is that that's true for Bitcoin, but it's not true for shitcoins. Pretty much yeah. every single shitcoin, there's someone you can grab, there's somebody you can put the screws on, there's yeah. some way it can be compromised, which is hilarious that this is what cryptography is fundamentally about. It's about dealing with a very powerful adversary who you need to make sure that they don't have a way to physically locate you, which the lobotomization of what crypto is and shitcoinery, it hasn't accommodated for that because it hasn't taken the same adversarial kind of thinking that Bitcoin does. Hmm. Bitcoin was the first digital currency that was developed and worked because of the way that Satoshi Nakamoto was thoughtful enough about dealing with the adversarial issue. There's a reason that we don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. There's a reason that he didn't spend any of his coins. And it's not just because he's altruistic. It's that because if he tried to engage in those behaviors, he would probably be discovered by whatever nation state he lives under, and he would be found a criminal under that. You know, And so to me, again, this is how Bitcoin is different is Bitcoin isn't just about number go up. Like that's that's sort of the superfluous thing it leads in with. What it's yep. really about is this radical shift towards 
a new form of truth. And, and Brian, you as a, a working class guy, I, you know, I come from a working class family as well. And I can't tell you how hor- horrifically wrong it is that men and women will spend their entire lives wage, you know, working for a wage that this system inherently and unfairly has created to be inflationary, which is a method of stealing from people. It is stealing from working class individuals who they say, hey, I worked hard. I deserve the 25 pounds that I was paid and that that should be able to go to the store and buy me the things that I need. But today, because of the way that they immaturely dealt with monetary policy throughout the COVID pandemic, they've clearly proven that they don't understand how these money systems work and that they would much rather harm the general working class people for the financial elites. I want to be very clear that the the way that this is benefiting the system of those that are in power is for them and to making sure that, that they have been able to take advantage of working class people with this financial sycophantry and guile in order to enrich themselves. And with Bitcoin, that is no longer possible because the rules are level across the board for everybody. Whether you are Satoshi Nakamoto or a humble club with with one Satoshi to your name, the rules are the same for you and that other person. And that is unlike any other monetary system in the history of the world. Well, they say math is truth, don't they? You know, Bitcoin is truth. And and I've sort of lived for many years of my life with the thought that the system, however you define the system, is set up and geared so that the 1% get stinking filthy richer and richer and 99% of people, you know, bread and circuses, if you want, end up dying poor. You know, it's set up. But then, you know, if if I were to drill down, I I also believe that each individual human being has has got the opportunity to, you know, um, criticize, you know, critical thinking, look into things. So, you know, there is there is an argument that, well, if most people just want to live their lives and believe what the government tell them, you know, or they want to live their life by as soon as they get some money, they want to go and spend it on the next new TV or holiday or car or whatever it might be. You know, you're never going to change that dynamic. But the the fundamental is what you're saying. The fundamental money system is set up and it ensures that most people die broke. Correct. <laughs> I think he's frozen. <laughs> we had this oh, before. Ah, um, you're back. No, you're back. I don't know how yeah, much yeah. of that you heard. Uh, I, I I got towards it at the end, but yeah, it it the yeah the you know uh, there's a great quote of uh, the line between good and evil is the line that runs through the heart of every man. You know, and and so we we can't address the problems of a nihilistic world where people want to engage in inauthentic behavior to buy superfluous shit. That's yep. that's going to happen, yep. particularly yep. in a world like today. But what does it mean for people that want to try to recover themselves from that? What does it mean for people who want to experience a more authentic form of engaging in the world and being able to have concern about the future in a meaningful way? You know, I I have two young children and I'm deeply concerned about the future of the money system for them, because when I look at the U.S. debt and unfunded liabilities and what our interest is at. I don't I don't see any meaningful way for them to be able to have the opportunities that I had uh, and the opportunities that I had paled in comparison to that that was provided to my mother and father. And, yeah. and that is not a system that I want to participate in. Yeah. 
And one of the things that I enjoy the most about Bitcoin is this is direct action that I can personally take on my own accords at any point in time that I want. It's not about voting the right people in. It's not about joining the correct political party. It's not about, I believe, it's about saying, no, I'm not going to participate in this system any longer. I'm going to put my wealth into a system that I know when one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, that there can never be more than 21 million. And this is really, really important in a world where literally every other asset on the planet that exists that denominator can change, yep. you know, and it it's really important to understand that even if you have $100,000 in the bank that you've spent the last three years saving up, that that might only have the purchasing power of $10,000 next year, you know, and it it's really scary to think about what it means if you're fighting this system where you're swimming upstream the whole time. And as working class people, we can't sorry. do that. Yeah, I, I, no, no. I, I don't think most people grasp that eric and the reason i say that is because you know prior to bitcoin i was you know the sort of guy that just oh everything's going up everything's getting dearer i didn't i, I didn't even understand you know what inflation was and how it was a you know a stealth theft as i call it um i i didn't understand that i didn't understand that we don't have to have a monetary world where you know two percent inflation is normal each year i didn't even understand what any of that meant and all of a sudden you get into bitcoin and you start with number go up and oh i can make some money and pretty soon you start learning things i never thought i dreamt i would learn about i i cannot believe you know as a brit i spend most of my time wondering what janet yellen's doing or jerome powell's doing or what the interest rate is they're going to do out in the states because i now realize that whatever happens in the states affects us Absolutely. Whatever goes on in America goes around the world. It it just is, you know. And so all of a sudden you end up being sucked down that rabbit hole, whether you want to or whether you don't want to. And it just doesn't end, does it? The rabbit hole does not end. No. And I mean, like how how wonderful it is, because that that rabbit hole truly is an inductive form of questioning because you're for you know this is no longer about number go up but it's about why is this working this way how is it working this way and the way that you're compelled to answer those questions for yourself and what i find the most fascinating is almost everybody approaches this in a different way using knowledge that they have before yeah and i was fortunate enough that uh from a university i studied international relations i had some rudimentary understanding of keynesian economics it was a good scaffolding for me to have a, a good understanding of it but i might meet people that are deep into spirituality in the way that they take components of their spiritual approach to life and that integrates it or individuals that do biodynamic farming and the way that they connect it to it and it's always so interesting to me because the way that they connect into it is through seeing this form of truth and its relationship in complex relationships and how truth almost forms a market for itself and not John to, to comes say, to mind for well, me. <laughs> yeah. And I love John, me and him, we have some of the wildest conversations and anytime we're present with each other, we, we love to go deep, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's so important because of the way that now that we understand that truth has real value and not just value in terms of us being able to understand the world that we live in better, but it, it has an actual tangible 
root value that so much of this nihilistic world that we exist within is predicated upon people not understanding that. Because I, I very sincerely believe today that if people understood Bitcoin as you and I do today, the world would look radically different. And not because there's been these huge changes across the board, but because everything becomes fair again. Yeah. And we haven't lived in a fair world for more than a century now. And we as a global collective humanity that has the internet that you and me can talk from halfway around the world and relate and connect and get yeah. to know each other without any physical presence, that that is so far beyond anything that was available to our ancestors. And this can be the key for us being able to go into a glorious future that can extricate ourselves from all of this, this darkness. And the largest part of that is moving away from these authoritarian ideals of that we shouldn't have to care about what Janet Yellen or Jerome Powell thinks or what, you know, the, the fact that we regard them as these religious oracles who, you know, we, we want to know. I'm sure that there's somebody out there who's probably mapped when they take shits during the day to figure <laughs> out what that means for how they're going to be giving out price signals for later in the day. Like, well, and it's just, it's so absurd that we say that we're free people and yet somehow these 12 individuals making a decision has rippling effect that goes all throughout the entire globe. You know, it, it, it's, it's, in my opinion, when you really start to dig into it, it's insulting that we have as self-sovereign people who can think for themselves and do and create and change the world that we have to be part of a system where the, you know, the thing that frustrates me the most is that these are people I wouldn't be friends with or have relationships with because I don't have agreements with them about really anything in life. And so I think to me, one of the things that I always found really radical is look like if somebody wants to buy, buy, uh, you know, cancer treatments for themselves, utilizing the dark net markets, getting them from, from Canada, they get a much cheaper price than they would here in America. And yeah. someone like Janet Yellen would say, Hey, that that's wrong. That's bad. That's illegal. You know, they're money laundering. And, and to me, it's, it's to say, well, look like, why do you get to make that decision for my money system? If it's really my money system, why don't I have an actual voice within how this is created? And the truth is, is that because fiat money isn't about that at all, it's about a root form of authoritarianism, whereas Bitcoin is about, in my opinion, the most radical form of democracy that there is. It's democracy taking itself seriously. Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I think I must mention this to every guest that I get on. And that is something that opened my eyes was Mike Maloney's Hidden Secrets of Money, because I getting into Bitcoin, I didn't understand the history of money. You know, Saifedina books, Saifedina Moose's book was great as well. Um, but that that 10 part series, yeah, it was shilling gold. We know that. But that's not the point. You know, understanding how governments have corrupted money throughout history helps you to get why Bitcoin. It certainly has done that for me. And, you know, it, to your point just now, when you think of 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet, and everything that happens to those people is decided by a handful of people. What gives them the right to control how 7.7 .7 billion people live their lives and deal with their money and their privacy and everything else? And, you know, whilst sometimes I can't put it into words, I, I know, I just know 
that Bitcoin fixes this. And I'm just so blessed that when I got a phone call five years ago, I did not go down the shitcoin route. Thankfully, I came across Andreas Antonopoulos and Bitcoin Meister, Adam Meister. He became a friend and I followed them and then BCC Sessions. And I, I, I'm thankful that I you know, found Bitcoin without... I hear so many people saying we had to get wrecked in shitcoins before we came to Bitcoin, became a maxi. And I became a maxi from almost day one of hearing about it. I just knew. I, I don't... I can't even explain it to you, Eric. I just knew, you know, but many people have to lose their shirt before they start to realise uh, why Bitcoin. And for me, if you take the time to educate yourself, it's there, isn't it? Everything's there. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's just like anything else. And I think it's really important that, um, you know, like my, my background isn't in philosophy or anything. And, mm. and I approached all this just because I had my own questions. And the first time I picked up philosophical texts, it was very intimidating. I remember setting the book down and saying, what, who, who am I to, to try to say I can understand this or that yeah. I can dig into it in a more deeper, <laughs> meaningful way? But I also realized, who am I not to do that? You know, who, who am I not to pursue that in the same way that, who, you know, who are you not to come out here and, and to spread your truth as you best can to, to have your shows and to invite people on and to have dialogue? Because we are truly entitled to be able to have those dialogues with other people. And the fact that you could feel that truth in yourself and pursue that in a meaningful way is really important. You know, and I, I think it's tragic that a lot of people need to get wrecked on shitcoining, but I think. And same thing with getting wrecked on trading. I think yeah. it's a yeah. really, really important process for people to stop and be able to say, what am I actually doing here? Am I trying to engage in a giant shell game so I can get more number go up? So mm -hmm. that, so what? what? What's my actual goal here? Whereas I think one of the things that Bitcoiners understand is, is look like this is, this is a storage of value that you can utilize in a thoughtful and mature method of savings. It's not to say that, you're going to gamble all your money and number go up and now you're rich and go buy a Ferrari. No, it's that when you set aside money for the future, it's money for the future that's actually there. And it's for a future of an untold time. You know, my, my Bitcoin isn't for tomorrow or next week. My Bitcoin is from years out from now where I, I simply have no idea what inflation is going to be like next year. I have no idea what it's going to be like in 2025. And by 2030, who really knows what's going on in the world? But what I can know is that there will not be more than 21 million Bitcoin. In fact, I can get all the way out to the end of my life, which, you know, hopefully that'll be at 2080 or something. I still know that there will not be more than 21 million Bitcoin. And this is so important because now I can put my wealth in a mode of savings that, you know, look like. Uh, I love my country and I love what America is, but this place, is it, it's not, things aren't looking good right now. And yeah. if in the year 2050, the United States doesn't exist, if the U.S. dollar doesn't exist, if my family has to flee the country because of my beliefs and what I do around Bitcoin or politics or anything else, I can have the esteem of knowing that my family can still have access to my Bitcoin, which there will never be more than 21 million. So they should always be able to hold some form of wealth. And particularly as more and more people come to this conversion where they choose to have Bitcoin as their ultimate storage of wealth, the network's going to become more powerful. And I mean, uh, you know, 
for more of the cheesy jokes, you know, to, to me, Bitcoin isn't about the money we make, but it's about the friends we make along the way. You know, the, the way that Bitcoin has truly transformed my own life and not only making me a happier and a healthier person, but I feel more purposeful and a much deeper sense of the world being able to change in a positive way than I ever felt before. And that I don't think is possible without Bitcoin. I get stuff's really dark out there, but the fact that we have Bitcoin as this unifying force to collectivize us in a meaningful way towards the goodness that is truth, I mean, it really warms my heart. Uh, ditto. I was going to say, it's added 10 years in terms of to my life. You know, all of a sudden you're excited about it. I mean, it's really interesting, um, Eric, because, you know, I... I just literally don't discuss Bitcoin's price on my shows. I obviously did an intro for the sats you get at the moment, but you know, you you can clearly see now the people that are stepping up in Bitcoin, the people that you should listen to are the people that are, they're just not talking about, well, what price is going to be at the end of the year? You know, what's it going to be in, you know, it, it is all about the philosophy of how Bitcoin is going to make the world a better place. And, yeah, I just can't stop learning. I can't stop jumping on podcasts and listening as opposed to watching, you know, chewing gum for the eyes that I refer to as television. You know, it's just garbage <laughs> that makes actors wealthy. You know, um, all yeah. of a sudden, you know, I, 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 th- there's a disclaimer in there because my daughter will give me a hard time if she watches this. And, you know, now and again, Elaine and I will chill out and we might watch something. But predominantly, you know, that... I always say in 24 hours, you get eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep and eight hours of stuff, if you want to simplify it. And it's what we do with those eight hours of stuff that determines how our life looks. And, you know, most people choose to put that into watching the goggle box. I choose to spend four, five, six hours a day on certain podcasts, people that I like to follow, you know, the Greg Fosses, Jeff Booze of the world, Adam Meister. He's in the chat, actually. He just said something. He said, um, he said, and also, if you leave your Bitcoin at an address, it will still be there in 2080. You were referring to 2080. You know, it's there, isn't it? Leave it at that address. Make sure somebody else can get it. And it's there, even if you're not here anymore, which is which is incredible. So let me talk to you, Eric, if I may, about, um, and again, I ask all my guests this question. Um, I, I see, I've got to simplify this because I'm not deep like you, but and I see Bitcoin as an arc, okay? The modern day Noah's Ark. And we need, we, the collective Bitcoiners, we need to do everything we can to get people across the bridge to the ark um, before whatever happens is going to happen. You know, there's two arguments. One say the dollar is going to collapse. Others say, no, it's not. It's going to be around forever. I know that's your take, Adam, in the chat. Um, I would love to see a very, very peaceful transition over time. Number one, I'll tell you now, I have hope. You said, uh, it, it, to, to your point a few minutes ago, Bitcoin gives you hope. It gives you something to believe in, to work towards a better life for our family, a better future, to be able to break that chain of the generations coming, getting poorer and poorer and poorer. We can now turn the tide and you know, and make a change. My Bitcoin is for my children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, etc. So that's fantastic. But I want to know your thoughts on whether are we going to see something, you know, a messy transition, you know, in terms of, um, you know, yes, we shouldn't let governments dictate what we do. We shouldn't listen to them. 
12 people running the world. But basically, the decisions they make right now tend to dictate what happens with the financial markets. Bitcoin is correlated. At some point, there could be a breakaway. I'm hoping there would be a breakaway. I guess what I'm asking in a roundabout sort of way, and there's a whole load of stuff in there. How do you what would you like to see? How would you like to see the transition and how do you think it might play out? Is that? <laughs> oh, it's a it, it's a great question. And it's so wide. Um, more and more like I, I actually think it is going to be a pretty peaceful transition. Uh, I, I think that the uh, calamity that's going to be the shifting of the financial system that's going to be messy, but I think it's going to be uh, much less violent than it has been historically. And I think mostly because uh, it's that same grasping at smoke thing. Like they're going to panic. They're going to start grasping at the smoke. They realize it's smoke. They'll start to realize their mistakes. Um, what I would really love is actually from uh, state-based governments here in the United States. So whether it be Texas or Florida or whomever else, for them to start moving themselves onto a Bitcoin standard and for that to be a shilling point for a new political organization to essentially say, hey, it is time to end the Federal Reserve. It is time for the United States to go on to a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, And I'm hoping that internally, this is one of the things that I've had pretty interesting dialogues with people about politics is uh, like, I'm an anarchist. So I'm, I'm quite, you know, uh, my perspective is you're not going to get anything through the political system, yep. but I do have solidarity in so far that I would really love to see American politicians realize that this is the only way that the West can keep a hold on a global, a global monetary trading system that is unitary uh, without it needing to devolve into Cold War 2.0 between the West and China or other superpowers that are rising. And I think it's really important because this is the same idea of, uh, you know, the, the same way that the UK existed classically in the 16th century was keep keep trading lanes open and free so that markets can operate how they're supposed to utilizing at that time it was a gold standard, but now we have a Bitcoin standard. And yeah. so I think I think in the same way uh, that Bitcoin grappled on to you and I, I think that there's people in places of power it will grapple onto in the same way. And their work is going to be pushing the dial to help convert that system. And I think we're already seeing some of that here in the United States. Um, and my hope is, is that as the system starts to break down and I'm convinced there's no way out of being in a highly inflationary environment for the United States. And yeah. I think as the punishment of that comes in for the very real suffering of people, I think that the dialogue around Bitcoin is going to become more powerful. And my hope is to see some radical third party create itself. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, I, I do think it's going to integrate itself into our political systems in some way, simply because of the way that the economics it, at the end of the day, it's about the math. And the fact is, is there there literally is no financial asset in the world that exists anymore that hasn't been highly manipulated by a bunch of financiers who operate through guile and lies. And so when it comes to the time to face those facts, if you will, it'll people will be aware that they aren't facts, that they're lies and that you need a form of money that can't be manipulated at the base. So. Uh, yeah, it leaves me with a lot of hope because I think if we didn't have that, it would be a pretty dark and brutal Cold War 2.0 with highly advanced technology that could very well destroy humanity. 
who was who was the guy um, that said I can't remember the quote exactly. I don't Hayek's jumping at me, but I don't think it was. But somebody said, you know, nothing will change until we take it out of the hands, um, the money out of the hands of governments in some sly roundabout way. I probably butchered that quote. But... His last interview. Yeah, it, it was more or less that we'll never get a sound money again until we have some sly roundabout way to deploy it, which was it Frederick exactly Hayek? Well, am I right there? Yeah, it was Hayek. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you what that is. I haven't learned that. That's called repetition. The more I keep hearing something, <laughs> then it just goes in. And it, Hayek was jumping at me, but uh, you know, I I didn't know. So thank you for for affirming that. I appreciate that. Um, so d- how is game? Th- do you think game theory is going to um play a role in this? Because you know, we're already seeing senators. Okay, it's still politics, but of course, the more they stand up and shout and beat the Bitcoin drum you know, that is going to have influence, I guess, in, I don't know what it is, the Senate or whatever it is out there. Um, and then you're going to have, am I right in calling it bipartisan? Is that the right terminology or apolitical? Yeah. Um, Bitcoin's apolitical. I know that. But you're going to have you're going to have parties that both want to see Bitcoin as a tool that can help them, you know, get into power or, you know, move up the ladder or whatever you call it out there. I don't know. Um, so, Good or bad with that in terms of politicians? Um, you've got the guy, um, Ted Cruz, as well. Um, you know, this you've got Caitlin Long. You know, we could talk about Avanti Bank, it's a new name, I can't think now, but that's been held up for two years when it should have gone through in something like seven or eight days. You know, that bank, and of course, mm-hmm. why are they doing all of that? So, to me, Eric, it all just it's all mished up in that. They're fighting us and they don't they don't want to give in to this because they know they can't control it mentality. But uh, yeah, your take on what I've just said. Crikey. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, well, first of all, I think everything's kind of good for Bitcoin because it for, you know, it, it's uh, it's living in people's head rent free. Yeah. And I think uh, yeah, it's game theory like all the way down. It's just a giant fractal of game theory all the way down that's why it uses cryptography that's why it's totally anonymous that's why you know all, all of the aspects of it and so i i think we're now seeing that play out on a nation state level with el salvador having created it as a legal currency we had the uh well that the central african republic created as a currency as well there's yep. just that that big uh conference that they had with the 42 other nations from the global south about it yeah you know like it to me, in theory, all the way down. Um, and it was interesting that you brought up the idea of this is getting everybody on Noah's Ark because, you know, there's that app, Noah, and I, I met the the founder who's funding that. And it's mainly created to be a Bitcoin wallet in Africa to act as, you know, and he calls it Noah because he wants to be Noah's Ark. And I had some great conversations with people that are doing really phenomenal work in Africa. And they were telling me they were like, they're like pitching Bitcoin to people in Africa is super easy because pretty much in five minutes they get what a shitcoin is because yeah. they've lived with shitcoins their entire life. And when you tell them that Bitcoin isn't a shitcoin, they're like, oh my God, I can actually like keep my wealth stored in some meaningful way now. And and this is something I always like to kind of bring up with other people is like, look, like you and me in the West, like we, we have comfortable lives. Like Bitcoin is going to help us. But it's not going to help us in the very radical way that it's going to help people in the global south, you know. And I think that that is so important because people don't realize that most people in the global south, you know, 15 percent inflation for them is like a good year. Like it's really important that 
they have a sound money system. And, and, and there's so many layers to it because it's not just inflation, but it's the endemic corruption of people stealing from them. It's the inability for them to have money at the bank and have that not to be sold. For, it, there are so many stacks to this layer. And so now the fact that these people in the global south are just on a fair playing board is such a huge difference. And I think that that's where we're going to see in the 21st century a huge economic boom in the global south, because now with access to fair money, they're going to be able to utilize all of the resources, all of the labor and capacity that they have to truly transform their societies. And and it's not the fault of their societies that they have all this problem. It's from the maraudings of the West, the constant coups that have been imposed upon them. I mean, Right now, there's still, you know, for the most part in places like Africa, monetary imperialism still exists, yeah. that the, they can't have independent central bank entities. And this is so, so important that these people have access to a fair money. And so I think it's game theory all the way down. And I think uh, the West could totally screw this up by by trying to resist what Bitcoin is. But the cat's out of the bag and we need a global... You know, and this is what John Maynard Keynes originally wanted Brenton Woods to be, is he wanted the bank or to be this fair global monetary standard that couldn't be manipulated. Well, now we actually have that, and it's called Bitcoin. But the difference is, is it's not controlled by the United States. It's controlled by the network itself. And so uh, I'm, I'm extremely hopeful because the game theory is working perfectly. And that game theory is pointed in a direction that simply says, if, like, if we have a game, and this game is called money and it is wealth and how we acquire it, then we probably want that game to have fair rules. Yeah. Yeah. And more than anything else, that's what we want for any game is for the rules to be fair. And that's what Bitcoin gives us is, is a game of wealth that actually has fair rules. I well put, I just, I just love the, you know, people in, third world countries like down in Africa, et cetera, and South America, you know, they can literally get a $50 phone, get an app on it, and their family can send them remittances home and they can keep 100% of it instead of Western Union and they're like literally bleeding them dry. I remember I had um, Lord Fusitour on from Tonga when he was doing the rounds on all the podcasts and um, he was saying that down in Tonga it's just absolutely massive instantaneously without changing any laws of parliament he said we literally could implement the wallet and day one literally get people getting all of their remittances around Western Union that keep 30 to 40 percent of it. And that is such a massive deal, is it not? You know, in the West, we are spoiled. We are lucky. We've got basic banking. We can pick our phone up and in a heartbeat, send a family member some money. Nobody questions it. But, you know, like you say, down in Africa, in the Africas, etc., where they just don't have access to basic banking, you know, this is a massive, massive deal. And I don't know, maybe I'm thinking that as this plays out, we could see a massive shift in the superpowers, depending on who these nation states are that maybe attack Bitcoin first and embrace it first. And, you know, I can't believe, Eric, that there aren't smart people in governments that get this and somehow they aren't stacking, but keeping it under the radar thoughts. Oh, I mean, there's, they're definitely stacking and keeping it under the radar uh, in regards to whether or not they want to have open dialogue about it. I think it's something different. And 
I mean, I would be very intrigued to hear what the private conversations at the Federal Reserve are around Bitcoin, because like they, you know, these people aren't stupid by any means, but they are deeply authoritarian. And I think that that's the place that uh, a lot of this has gotten lost. And to me, like, that's been one of the funniest things to have watched happen in Bitcoin is that like all of the most OG Bitcoiners were like a bunch of drug dealers and like porn hucksters. And, and, you know, I'm like really the uh, the lumpen proletariat, if you will, you know, like these this sort of dirty underbelly of people that weren't supposed to be included in society. Well, it turns out that, you know, they, they still have a very real part in the world and in the global economy. So the fact that these people were the, the most disenfranchised people were like, hey, there's like a money that us being disenfranchised can actually use. Turns out that like, that's a really valuable thing for everybody. Yeah. And that links up with my own theory in that the truth is, in our current authoritarian world, because of how it operates, any of us can become the disenfranchised by saying the wrong thing, by being associated with the wrong people, you know. And uh, one of my early experiences that really colored Bitcoin for me is I, I had a brief stint in banking before I joined Coinbase, uh, and I was just doing support stuff there. And uh, I was—I had a police officer call me and ask me to shut down a bank account, and I asked my boss, I was like, "Oh, like, can we do this without a warrant?" And she was like, oh, yeah, like we do it all the time without a warrant. We're like a private, you know, we're like a private entity so we can shut down bank accounts whenever we want. And I remember I was just like, wow, like somebody can get a phone call and shut down people's bank accounts like that. That's that's how easy this is. And I realized that's why it's so important to have a self-sovereign money that can't be shut down, because the truth is, is that any of us at any point in time can be a mistaken individual who becomes an enemy of the state who by that simple label alone, we can lose access to everything. And so I think it, it's really important that we all realize that we can become those other dirty people that can't participate in the system anymore. And if that happens, how are we going to protect ourselves? This is the thing that really, I'm going to use the word frightens me with the world that we seem to be heading towards with you know, let's say CBDCs where, I mean, it's, it's literally no more than a spy coin. It's literally no more than <clears throat> authoritarianism uh, like China. And, you know, it's, it scares me to death. And the, the trouble is when you're talking to people around you, family and the like, they literally la label me, you, us, whoever, as conspiracy theorists. They think we're nuts. And yet they're, they're just literally... Well, on. Uh, on both of those points, like, they're... so who's nuts? The ones that are bringing up the fact that this stuff is happening or the people that are seeing it happening and refuse to talk about it because it is so terrifying. Yeah. And the other one is I'd say, you know, like they're they're I, I wouldn't call them spy coins. There's so much more than that because it's not just about spying on you. It's about when you do something they don't like, they can stop that. Turn you off. Yeah, absolutely. When inflation when inflation gets out of control, they can now put they can put radical price controls on tens of thousands of objects. So if you buy too many diaper wipes in a month, if you buy too much meat, if you go outside your quota of gasoline, if you're outside of your geolocation area like this, this becomes such a hyper tool of power that it's not just about surveillance, but it's about literally creating access points everywhere and around everything based upon how you comply. And I think it's really important because in this is the dark stuff is that if we don't get Bitcoin into the hands of as many people as possible, it becomes possible to have 
this extremely powerful apparatus that's so much farther beyond anything we've seen before. You know, and I, I bring up the Uyghur genocide as to, to me, this is such a powerful and extraordinary genocide because it's not about just killing people. It's about hollowing them out and destroying their culture in totality so that you actually get an empty and vacant person at the end of it who will comply and do whatever you want because the technology that can surveil and control them is so powerful that they have no possible escape. And we can get that in the West. And it looks like we could very well deploy it. And uh, again, I get this is really radical and scary stuff, but we have to be thoughtful and responsible enough to realize that these people are using tactics of fear and terror to try to intimidate us into giving away our ability to protect and help each other economically. And so I point that out, again, not to scare people, but to say, look, central digital aren't about giving us a more stable and thoughtful system. It's that they fucked up the last, I'm sorry, but they screwed up the last money system and the way that they screwed up that last money system, they now want to deploy something that's much more powerful that puts the clamps down on much tighter. And the question is, is should we tolerate that? And should we participate in that? I don't think we should. And if they try to deploy something like that here in the United States, I will do everything in my power to make sure that people don't accept it, that people don't participate in it, and that we do everything we can to destroy it. Well, listen, there's a whole another rabbit hole we could go down, I guess, but uh, we're on that hour, Mark. So, uh, Eric, thank you for coming on and talking with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm just going to go over to the desktop and bring Eric's Twitter back up again. People, you need to go and follow Eric been a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm hoping that the audience, family members, people finding this in the future, take what my guests are saying, that it's not just me saying this, that Bitcoin is our hope boat. Bitcoin is our Noah's Ark. There is so much going on. And if you don't believe me, people, one book I would recommend is heavy. And that was The Creature from Jekyll Island. That was one heavy mm. book. But by golly, didn't it explain to me the Federal Reserve, why it was created, what they wanted to achieve over 100 years. And even the last chapter for me, chapter 24 actually played out talking about they can't have world wars now. So it's probably going to be a pandemic war. And it was pretty well... Literally, I, I literally got to that chapter, I think, in March 2020. And of course, we went into global lockdown. Eric, I'm telling you now, it freaked me out completely because it was it was like I was meant to read it as the whole world was going into lockdown. And like New York and London and all these major cities were just derelict and empty and dead. And I just read it in that flipping book. So people, what you've got to do, I think, is... Become a critical thinker. Don't just take what they say is the norm. Don't just take the government saying to you, we will look after you. Because the only people that they want to look after is themselves. If you don't understand what the Cantillion effect is, learn about it, people. The closer you are to the money printer, the more wealthy you get and the further you are away, the more you are going to stay broke. So, Forgive me, I do get on a bit of a rant. Um, Eric, um, I've obviously had your Twitter up. I've got your link to Twitter in the show notes. Um, 
tell my audience where they should go look at any other work you might be doing, anything you want to point out, anything you want to mention. Yeah, I have a blog called CryptoSovereignty.org where you can see all of my various publications. Um, yeah, my, my That's approach on your Twitter is bio, really isn't looking... It? Yeah. it is on my Twitter bio. And yeah, my approach is very much through uh, the political philosophy of what sovereignty is and trying to explore how Bitcoin changes the idea of self-sovereignty in the digital age through Bitcoin directly. So if you have a curious uh, curiosity about some of those deeper questions on a philosophical level, please feel free to visit my blog. And uh, please follow me on Twitter. If you have any questions for me, feel free to send me a DM or, or just uh, make, make a comment on my feed. And I'm always happy to answer. Wow. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, Eric, I'm going to go with a quote to finish off and in an outro. If you can stay in the green room, I'd like to just uh, have a quick 30 seconds with you before I let you go afterwards. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is your UK Bitcoin Master live interview for the 16th of June 2022. I hope you got something from that. I would encourage you, as Eric's just said, to go over and follow Eric on Twitter, most definitely. Um, I will be back on Monday, as always, with my regular Bitcoin show. Got a great video lined up that we're going to dissect very quickly on the desktop. If I go back for one moment, you know that I love to end my shows with a quote. And basically what we've just been talking about is pretty well what this quote's about. It says, who you are spending, who are you spending the most time with? Employees, entrepreneurs or investors, i.e. surround yourself with the kind of people that you want to become. If you are into Bitcoin or if you've just got yourself into Bitcoin and you are listening to those people around you for their advice, they are going to spin you with what's going on in the news, what the newspapers are coming out with, what the mainstream news channels are telling you. And that is not where you want to be spending your time if you want to be a strong hand, diamond hand Bitcoiner people. Seriously. So you've got to get around those people that are going where you want to go grab their coattails. What do I mean by that? When I got into Bitcoin five years ago, I found Andreas Antonopoulos. He's gone off the rails a little bit now, but he's got some great early stuff on Bitcoin. I found Bitcoin Meister. I found BTC Sessions. And of now today, of course, we've got Greg Foss, Jeff Booth, lots of others. So follow these people. I implore you. That is it. I'm going to leave you with my social media links, as I always do. Please retweet this. Please share the show out so that more noobs can find it. One last thing. I always forget this. If you could go back into the comments section when the video is ended and leave a short comment, it screws with YouTube's algorithm and keeps this more relevant for more noobs Googling Bitcoin to find. Eric, I will catch you on the other side. Have a great morning, afternoon or evening, everyone. Have a superb weekend, whatever you're doing. Don't forget in the UK, 2nd of July, Bristol, we've got the Bitcoin adventure. Come down and meet the racing team. Come down and uh, maybe have a selfie done with me. You might think, no, that's enough to make me want to stay away. Whatever. Thanks for your time, peeps. Have a great one. I'm going to leave you with my social media links and I'll catch you all on Monday.